It's my privilege to be able to introduce to you Kevin and Julia Garrett. Kevin and Julia met while completing their undergrad degrees at the University of Toronto. The only crossover that they had during that time was one class they took on communism and socialism, which was interesting, for they would later spend the next 30 years in China sharing God's love to the people of that nation. When they met, Jesus, uh, sorry, when they met, Julia was a follower of Jesus, but Kevin was not. Through Julia, Kevin was introduced to a church community where he eventually became a follower of Jesus. After they got engaged, they accepted an invitation to teach English in China and deferred their wedding. Year after year, they have continued to say yes to the opportunities presented to them. During their time in China, they started a family, raising four children who are now adults. As a family, they engage in numerous opportunities, opportunities such as setting up training centers, setting up various businesses, establishing an orphanage, developing a kimchi factory, and working with people who looked after disabilities. The most recent business that they set up was a coffee shop in Dangdong called Peter's House. This was established on the China border, or sorry, in China on the North Korean border. And from there, they would send product into North Korea, products such as backpacks full of school supplies, setting up milk machines in schools to provide nourishment for the children, and many other initiatives. On August 4th, 2014, Kevin and Julia were apprehended by the Chinese government in what was a setup. They were accused of being spies for the Canadian government. This, this was the last time that they would see each other for two and a half months. They had no chance to prepare for separation, no chance to say goodbye to family or friends. They were simply grabbed and taken away. Over the next 775 days, they, the time was spent being interrogated, often up to six hours a day, in what was called a black jail. This was a jail that, was not, that did not officially exist. And later, Kevin was moved to an official Chinese prison. On, seven, on September, uh, September 15, 2016, Kevin was finally released and once again able to rejoin his family here in Canada. Today, Kevin and Julia are going to begin to share their story with us. Tomorrow, they'll be helping us to lead the day of prayer. And in the, in, in the afternoon tomorrow, they'll finish their story. So it's a privilege to have you here, and we want to be encouraged by your testimony. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for your goodness to each one of us. Thank you for your work of protection and provision in the lives of Kevin and Julia. Thank you for the testimony that they now have that they can declare where your great name is proclaimed. And in this place this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and to his work of teaching us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, Three Hills. <clears throat> well, not all are Three Hills, just Prairie, right? But we, we could wake them all up, I guess, couldn't we? There's a few sleeping, I'm sure. One year ago, September 15th, I was released from prison. Deported from, from China, reunited, as you saw. So uh, tomorrow, it'll be exactly 14 months. And, uh, you know, after spending our, our lives in China since 1984, 
uh, raising our children there, to be complete, our lives completely reset on August 4th, 2014. We really came to see that God truly is real, truly is true. I mean, we know that here. Sometimes we don't know it here, right? And when you go through something like this, you read Psalm 46.1. God is ever-present. I know the next part says, in times of trouble. But take those two words, ever-present, because that's what he is. He's just ever-present. doesn't matter you're in prison or you're in chapel. God is ever-present. In those 30 years, we worked in seven different cities in China. We started community projects. We started, as you heard, a coffee shop, which actually Nathan should have said he'd been there, and it had the best coffee on the border, okay? He didn't say that, Nathan. Those last 10 years were tremendous. We had tremendous years in China. In our first year, in 1984 to 85, we taught for the Chinese military. Now, that was pretty interesting, for sure. In that first year, we just prayed. And we said, God, you come. What can we do in the Chinese military where everything says there is no God? Except God doesn't say that, does he? So we prayed. In that second year, we saw 30 people or so come to the Lord in the Chinese military. God is amazing. Because God will do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. Never, ever limit God. Some of our troubles might be painful, but God will not be limited. On August 4th, 2014, when we were taken, two of our children were still in China. Actually, our daughter had just gone back to Canada. She was 17, and she was going to start college. And our son was there, and we just, we just disappeared. He actually found out from the Chinese news that we disappeared. He didn't know. I want to read to you a couple of verses. And I want you to understand this. John 6, 63. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. We have to realize that this word of God is life. Without it, there is no life. We have to understand that. And I saw that so clearly in prison and in those 775 days. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 1 and 8 to 11. God says, The church of God at Prairie. I'm not going to question my translation. <laughs> I know it says the church of God at Corinth, right? But God's word is to us every day. Not just when we need it, but every day. Every moment, every day, his word is to us. And he goes on to say, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles and hardships we experience in the province of Asia. Hmm, sounds familiar to me. We're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. And we did. During those days, there are times I despaired of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. When you're threatened with execution hundreds of times, it kind of gets, gets you. Because they could. But the key is this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the key. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. 
Now, Paul says, because he knew, prayer was vital. He doesn't mean just help, like just, oh, here, let me give you a hand. He means you saved his life. We know that because we can stand here today, it's because people prayed for us. People here, people all over the world prayed for us. It's no different today. He means this. What you're going to do tomorrow is just the beginning of something that I really hope goes far deeper than just picking a fight for one day. It, it, it is threaded throughout the whole of the Bible that the family of God has to work together with each other, those we see and those we don't see. The night we were abducted, uh, we just... <laughs> Sorry. He's hilarious. The night we were abducted, we were just going for dinner in a local restaurant. We were invited. Uh, a friend of ours introduced some people. Oh, would you talk to them? Their daughter wants to study in the University of Toronto. We went for this dinner. It was an odd dinner because it was a bit over the top. At the end of the dinner, which went very quickly, they passed Kevin a vase. Oh, thank you for coming. Here's a vase. And they passed me a CD and like said, it. here's my daughter's resume. She couldn't show up because she had a toothache today. But here it is on a CD. Would you mind having a look at it? So we left that room. We got into the elevator on the fourth floor. And our lives were about to change forever. It was an absolute setup betrayal. There could be no mistaking who came down in that elevator when that door opened. One had a vase, and the other had a pink CD case. And when the door opened and we went out, 16 or more plainclothes agents just suddenly grabbed us. And they had two black cars waiting outside. They stuffed us in those cars. And I never saw Kevin, as you heard Nathan say, for two and a half months, but for two years, I never really saw Kevin and had a conversation. Because the only interactions that we had after that were these little 10-minute setups when they wanted us to, to uh, play on each other in order to come about with something that they were going to later use during the interrogation. In fact, we weren't able to talk about anything um, at all of any significance. So when we went out of that building, we went to a police station. So at least I knew then it was not thugs, it was not maybe North Korean agents. I thought it's got to be something connected to China. They stripped everything away, and they threw me back in the car and started driving out into the middle of nowhere. That's uh, what's called black jail in China. You keep hearing, so-and-so disappeared, so-and-so disappeared. You're not in the Chinese legal system yet. And in China, if you begin to understand how it works, all the interrogation and investigation in a case is done before you ever actually are arrested. So the arrest didn't come for eight months. All of this happened when you just literally disappear. So we're driving off in the middle of the night into this compound, and I'm sitting there thinking, this might be my last night. God, just like, if they're going to kill me and take me to heaven, please, I'd like prefer a bullet. One shot quickly, right in the right place. Don't, not wild dogs, not like, not torture slowly. I had all these thoughts. Now, when your human side is shaking, full of this sort of tsunami of fear, which is just like this unbelievable, intense, strong fear, and you're sitting there, four men in a car, and you're driving out into the pitch dark, into the middle of nowhere, you know, with, in total shock, 
the Holy Spirit is immediately drawing from the well that he's placed in your heart. Now, how deep is that well? You have a choice. You fill that well. You can go to class and you cannot fill the well at all, or you can fill the well. You can go home and you can fill that well, or you cannot fill that well. But God's giving you freedom and he's giving you time to fill the well for times when you're going to need to draw from the well. And so I'm thankful. I grew up in a Christian home, and I had gone and, and, and put the word in my heart for years. I knew lots of songs and worship and hymns, and I had the well. And, but even if you've only known him for six months, your responsibility to, to let that well be as full as possible because God will take whatever's in there, and he will use it. So as we're driving out in the car, and I'm just in absolute shock and terror... I hear this whisper, God has not given to us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, right? From First Timothy, 2 Timothy, Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I hear these things coming out of the well in my spirit as it connects with the spirit of God. And so does it take away my fear? No, but it gives me courage. And it gives me strength. And then we, walk, we drive into this compound. I hear the accordion gate. I see this. We're driving in. It's pitch dark. There's this compound in front of me. And I'm thinking, okay, well, good. It looks, at least it doesn't look like they're going to shoot me tonight. And we go into this compound, and it's through a locked door and up, up a stairs. And they open another locked door, and they take me down past all these locked doors into the final door. And they lock me in this room where I then stayed for six months with lighting on all the time, and they put two guards inside the room with me. And I thought, at least I'm in a room that has walls. And the Holy Spirit was there. God with me. When you sing at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with me, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? When I was in that context, it meant everything to me because I had no phone. I couldn't text my kids. I had no lifeline. I had no lawyer. In China, in the black jail, there's no lawyer. There's no phone call. There's no family. There's no interaction. There's only Emmanuel, God with us. That first night when Julia disappeared, and I disappeared too, we were taken to that police station, and... Um, I heard her down the hall crying and screaming, and I could tell that she was being taken out of the building. And I just heard her say, we only came to help. And it was right after that that they put me into a car. I had to sign. In China, I don't understand it yet, but you had to sign a paper agreeing to be investigated. That sounds really weird, right? But until I signed that paper, until I heard Julia being taken out and crying and saying, we only came to help, I was just, I was kind of, not arguing, but maybe arguing. Like, what do you mean sign a paper to agree to be investigated? But at that point, I did sign that paper. And all of a sudden, you know, there's all this activity. And we go back to our apartment. 18 security people, I counted, go to our apartment. And they just ransacked the whole place, pulling everything out of shelves, off cupboards. And it... Like, at first, I thought it was going to be a really long night, and actually, it was a really long night, because the first thing they did, they went to the, the kitchen, and they opened the cupboard, and they said, what's this? And I said, salt. <laughs> and I thought, 
This is going to be a really long night. <laughs> now, I'm afraid. You've got to understand that, too. But these things, these thoughts were also going through my mind. And then they said, what's that? And I said, pepper. <laughs> then they went on to other things. But I know it sounds funny, but that's how it started. And as these 18 security people just ransacked the apartment, pulling, going through everything, and then they find some money, because of course you use money, right? They pile it on the table. There wasn't that much. And then they want me to sit in front of it as if I'm a criminal. See, these are the, the money from criminal proceeds. And they take a picture. Actually, most of it was money we had designated for an orphanage project in North Korea. And then at the end of the night, this is 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, they uh, say, okay, get some clothes for you and Julia. And I think, uh-oh, this is, this is not going to be over tonight. And as I grab some clothes, I picked up our Bibles as well. And they told, turned to me and said, no, you can't have that. And I just turned to him, and I just said, well, that's not very nice of you. <laughs> and I said it much like that. And then they discussed. And they said, okay, you can have your Bibles. <laughs> but Julia didn't know any of this for two years. Because the next morning, they give her her Bible. And we're in the same building, but we didn't realize this for a while. They give her her Bible, and they say to her, we have freedom of religion in China. Here's your Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought. <clears throat> so I had my Bible from the very first morning when I woke up. I mean, I'm still in my sleeveless dress that I'd used for worn for teaching the day before. I had, was wearing high heels. I thought, this is not that convenient for being locked in this cell room. But I had this. They walked in all proud, and they handed me the Word of God. And I thought, wow, I don't just have this well in me. I have this. I have this life, this resurrection life that's going to bring me back to life every day. It's going to feed me. It's going to help me not only survive, but help me serve. It wasn't easy to sleep, because if you shut your eyes, you can feel the two guards staring at you, you know, and you're just like looking at them, and they're like looking at you. They were told not just to sit there, but to look at you the whole time. So you don't harm yourself or you don't do anything to yourself. And it wasn't exactly something I would have thought of. And they wrote down in notebooks. You know, I was British. I was born in England. When they write, she went to the bathroom, it's very embarrassing. It's right beside them. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is not happening to me. You know, my Bible became a shield. <laughs> okay, I'm in the bathroom and they're staring at me, but this is my shield. You know, it's a different application of the verse. Shield. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't used it in that context. I started reading it. You know, this is not something that we paste onto our lives. It frames our lives. It gives us our life. And so I'd read it, and I'd, you know, they'd knock on the door. I'd hear these, like, three knocks every day. That means interrogation is about to begin, six hours. But before that happened, I would have been up early, and I would be reading the Word, and I would be going, okay, God, what am I going to need for today? 
and it was right where I was. He would just speak out of the word. So things like Deuteronomy 30, 11 to, 11 to 14, you know, the word is near you. It's not far off. And it was actually right here, right near me. But it was also right near me, right here. So when I went into the interrogation, I didn't take my Bible. It was right next door. I just walked like three steps. And I was like, yay, exercise. You know, because that's the only minute I got to leave the room. And oh, yay, exercise back. They thought, why does she dance every time she walks those five steps into the interrogation room? It's the only way I could lift my knees up high. I walk in that room, and I'd have those words. The word is near you. It is in your heart. It is in your mouth so that you can do it. And if you read that passage at the beginning, it says, this command I command you, the word is near you. I was like, good. It's more forceful than the interrogators. Because it comes from the almighty God. And it would just give me the strength and the courage. Or like passages like Ephesians 6, you know, 10 to 20, the armor of God. I'd be like, okay, I'm putting this on. You know, they, they can't see it, but it's there. It's like everything I need to engage the battle. Stand firm in the strength of his might. So when they show me pictures of executions... And they're like, well, this can be you unless you confess, unless you cooperate and tell us you're a spy. What did I have in my heart? I'm like shaking. In the flesh, my flesh was just like going crazy. But in my spirit, God was saying, be strong, stand firm in the strength of his might. If you're praying tomorrow for the persecuted, pray the scriptures over them. Just read it out loud. Get involved. Join yourself to it. Pray that word over someone. Open the Bible and just pray those words over their lives, over the people you don't know, and it'll infuse them. Because I believe that people were doing that for me. Thankfully, God got that on the news right away so that we had those words going out there and people were praying. And I'm sure that they were infusing me with the ability to sit through what I had to sit through and to live through what I had to live through. And if you read the rest of that passage, pray in the Spirit at all times so that you may proclaim the words. Amazing things happened in that room besides interrogations. The interrogators are started to get undone by the power and the presence of God. You know, those six months are like living in a dark hole because we were cut off from everything. We had consular visits every once in a while, but everything else was cut off. We had little news from family or friends. We couldn't, as Julie said earlier, we couldn't call, we couldn't text, we couldn't do anything. I want you guys to try and go, out, go without texting tomorrow, okay? See if you can do it. Do you get the shakes? You might. Well, I had... 775 days of no technology, so it can be done. <laughs> Forced upon me, but anyway. But in that isolation compound where we were taken, we were the only two prisoners. No one else. No other Chinese prisoners, nothing else. And they had, and I counted, 50 or 60 security personnel for us. Like, it's just way over the top. But you know why they had 50 or 60? Because we're dangerous. And I think they watch a lot of Jason Bourne movies. <laughs> That's my assumption, anyways. But it was scary. It, it really was. The guards weren't supposed to talk to you, as Julia said. But I would just, like, after a while, I started talking to my guards, even if they didn't talk to me. So how you doing? Are you married? 
Any children? They started talking. And after a while, they kind of started talking to me. I don't think they were supposed to, but they did. One time, a guy brought in an Ikea catalog. We talked about that for weeks. <laughs> you know, when you have nothing, you use whatever you have, right? So Ikea it was. You know, I'd never, obviously, been through interrogation like that before. It's not like the movies. Because your body reacts to fear, and you just, you don't know what to do. Except pray. And you trust that God is with you, because he is. And you just, that's all you can do. Accused of being spies, and I said, we never, we don't spy, we don't do it. I don't even know anything about that. I mean, I've watched James Bond, but I know nothing about it. And they said, oh, no, you spied for the Canadian intelligence agency. I said, do we have one? <laughs> but, but when they're accusing you of these things constantly, after a while you start thinking, am I a spy? No, no, I'm not, I'm not. But things like that, they go on and on and on. And what happens is your brain starts to actually rewire to live in a box. So that's, um, it takes a while but you realize that all you're listening to is sounds. So all your disappointments come from yourself. Because you interpret a sound and you think, oh, they're going to come, I hear footsteps, oh, they're coming, today's the day I'm going to get out. And you know, you also can find a scripture to support that. <laughs> and you can find, today's the day I'm going to die, and you can find a scripture to support that, so you have to be careful. You cannot proof text, you cannot use the scripture that way. And I, 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 found myself just like, I've never been like this before. I've never been rewired as a model prisoner, rewired as a prisoner. My only freedom, 15 minutes a day, because the embassy pushed for it, and by the way, we never met the embassy at that compound, so they never knew where we were. They let us, the embassy pushed for us to go outside. They said, you can't keep them in the room 24-7. You have to let them outside. So they decided, okay, we'll let you outside with four guards for 15 minutes to walk in a circle outside in the pitch dark. So we went out there, and I was walking around in the pitch dark one night, and half the time I just didn't even feel like walking, but I was like, good, it's more exercise. I can like, you know, and then if I started jumping, they like were like really panicky. I was gonna jump the walls and swim the moat, you know, kind of thing. But obviously I wasn't. And I looked straight up one day, and I thought the only freedom I have right now is between me and the stars, because they're not there. Around me was guards, around me was all the cameras. Freedom is a completely different thing when you're in that context. So the battle with time, even if you try to, you know, I don't know if you've been told what you're doing tomorrow, but even if you uh, battle just to try to survive a short time in isolation, if you try to survive six months of days, 180 days in a room, the seconds just like tick, 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 tick. They go by so slowly. I can't even describe exactly what that feels like. But you have to keep renewing yourself with the word because the only thing that brings you life is this. Nothing around you, nothing in your circumstances. You don't feel like eating. So the food, they drop this food and they make you sit against the wall in a tray and they try to make you eat this rice and you're just like, nothing makes me want to eat except the word of God. I knew I had to stay strong, so I had to eat. It was not because I felt like eating the food. It was not because I felt like living in the box. It was because the word of God fed me 
and then caused me to choose life as opposed to choosing death. For the first few months I was in isolation, there was that, you know, that moment just before you wake up, you're not quite awake, you haven't opened your eyes, and maybe you're just still in the middle of a dream, a good one, hopefully. But I would, for months, probably two, three, four months, every morning I got to that point, I wake up and I think, ah, and then all of a sudden it would hit me. I'm a prisoner. And I would have to choose to get up in the morning. It was a choice every day to get up and to pray. It was a choice every day to get out of bed and get dressed and go you know, ask for my toothbrush because nothing was in the room with us. Everything I had to ask for. Like a child again, I had to ask for everything that was there. But you know, when I chose, God was there. When I chose to read my Bible, God was there. When I chose to pray, because it's easy not to pray. It's easy not to read. It's easy because you can look at your circumstances, you can say, oh, it's hopeless. And it's true. It's hopeless, except for God. It is hopeless. So as the human part of you starts to despair, and it becomes absolutely impossible that anything humanly would keep you going, God's like, I've been saving gifts for this time. He's like, you didn't know what I had in store. I've been saving things. I knew it was going to get to this day. And I prepared it before you were even born, some things for this day. And like so many, many things, what happened was the line between heaven and earth starts to disappear. It's like the kingdom of heaven just keeps pouring down and is all around you. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand constantly throughout his walk on earth, I get it way more. It wasn't just about the future coming of Christ. It was about the things of God are showing up all around me. And I'm just going to give you one example. And, and um, because in Revelation 4, you know when John, where was he when he got the words to write the book there? Where was he? On the island of Patmos, in prison, right? Held as a prisoner. So it's not just about, oh, I want to give all these words to you, John, because you have a lot of spare time. You might as well write them all down, and this will help the people know all about the churches in the days, and it'll help all the churches in the future. It was about how did John feel that day? I'm going to show John the kingdom of heaven. When in chapter 4 he says, come on up here and have a look and write this down. When I was in that cell, I thought, that was for John too. That was for John. He needed to see the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And when he looked around, he saw heaven. And so God started doing things like that to me. And so I had one thing they gave me was a pack of playing cards which was really funny. And maybe after a couple of months of me just being so bored in that room, they gave me this pack of playing cards, which I grew up in a home. I wasn't allowed to play them. So I, I was like, great, I only know solitaire. But anyway, I used them as praying cards. And I want to just tell one story because this is the way that the kingdom of heaven just showed up. I had one sticking out. I think my husband's so neat and tidy, he pushed it in. But anyway... I'm sitting there, and I'm praying. I laid out the cards in nations, and I prayed over, okay, North Korea, over China. I prayed over our families. I just, every day I tried to think of a different strategy of how to use these cards to pray. Anyway, the last card in the deck, I always said to God, okay, just speak to me something. And so 
one of the days I was praying, and I pulled out this, and it was a six of diamonds. And in my isolation cell, I'd kind of come to, to think of diamonds as a supernatural, just a representation of the supernatural, because diamonds are just so beautiful. And this came out, a six of diamonds. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to let you out on December 6th. And I was like so happy. I was like rejoicing, and I was like dancing around the room, and they were like, what's wrong with her today? There was Julia's dancing around the room. <laughs> you know, Julia's, I, they already had written down how many hairdos I figured out how to do during that time. Then, three days before the 6th of December, this is about a month before I got that word, and I was really happy for the three weeks. Not happy, but happier. God, I pull out the six again. And this time it falls into my cup of water. This is the exact one. Fell into the cup of water. And I'm like, God, are you trying to say something special to me? And he says to me, in my spirit, he whispers to me. And he says, Julia, I want you to exchange that date with me for the greater glory. And I'm like, oh, great. That sounds like all the Psalms, you know. The king of glory has come down. The gate, open the gates, come in. I'm like, you know I'm going to do it, God, but nothing in me wants to do it. I want to go home on the 6th. I can be there for Christmas. I can see my family. And you know what? I just walked up to heaven, just as if I was like John, in my mind. It was, whether it was an actual vision or it was just a, a spiritual experience. And I walked up there and I said to God, okay, I'm only handing this to you directly. <laughs> Because if you're asking me to give up this, that you gave me this promise, sometimes our promises don't come through, and we don't understand why. Get deeper into it. Go deeper into it. So I'm walking it up to the throne of God in heaven, and I hand him the card. And he takes the card out of my hand, and he hands it back to me. He just plants it in my heart. And he says, go back. I'm going to grow a tree of life. Just like God. And so I drew in my Bible on Revelation on that day, I drew a tree. If you ever want to look at it, you can come see. I drew a tree. And on the back of the book where I'd written daily thanks, on the back of the Bible where I'd written a little note of daily thanks, and I had the thanks where I had the number six, you can see, on the day when I got the six. And on that day, I had myself giving it back for the greater glory. If standing here can be one drop of the greater glory so that we could pass something on to you, something of value that would help you in your walk with God, it would be what it's for. Right around um, January 24th, just before that, I asked the, um, the investigators, can I see Julia? We'd only had glimpses. And they had just told me that I was actually going to go to that big prison, going to a real prison. And they granted us 10 minutes together. And this is five and a half, almost six months. And I had this plan because I had my wedding ring on still. They'd taken Julia's, but on the night we were taken, I said, nah, I won't come off. So they left it. I'm like, oh, victory. That's the way I felt. I didn't want to give it up. But that day, I knew if I went to the big prison, it wouldn't be as nice. It, and it wasn't. And so I slipped it off. 
And as we met, we had 10 minutes, of course, these people watching. I held her hand, but the ring was in it. I passed it on to her, and I think she almost fainted because she thought, uh-oh, contraband. <laughs> and, but I had to because that's just, I felt that God was there, and I had to do that. And at that meeting, I didn't know that that change was going to happen. I didn't know anything. One of the tricks they have is just to keep you not knowing anything that's going to happen, even the next minute. And so when he handed me the thing and said, I'm going to the big prison, and I think you're going out on bail under house arrest, and we'll be waiting for our trials separately so that we can't be together. And he handed me this ring. I was like, okay, God, this is going too far. Like, I've already exchanged the, for the greater glory. This does not look like the greater glory. We're so, our minds are so small. And God's minds and God's ways and God's thoughts are so majestic and so big. And I had no idea. And in those next few days, I went into my interrogations and I said, you know, we were still talking about all sorts of things about me being a spy and CSIS and the government. And I was just like, let them just ask me about Jesus. And then out of the blue one day, he says to me, the head investigator, what would happen if everyone in China believed in Jesus like you? I was like, that would be amazing. And he's like, next question. You know, and then another, the other guy said, look, so how are you feeling? He was like all moving awkwardly. And he said, yeah, I've had a back problem for years. And I just looked at him. And I didn't say anything. I just looked at him. But in my spirit, I was praying, God, heal him, God, heal him, God, heal him. The next day, he comes in. And I said, so how's your back? And he said, were you doing that thing you do? It's fine. It's healed. It's back. It's, his back was completely healed. He never had a problem the whole rest of the time. So God was at work. You know, it says, my father is working and I too am working. That's what Jesus said in John. But how is he working now? You, 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 you. Putting your life in his hands every moment, every day. And so in those interrogations and in that six months, in that six months period, even after six months when it didn't end, and tomorrow we'll tell you the rest of the, the story of the next 19 months, God was at work. God was at work. God was using his word as a living word. God was using what the well in our hearts and bringing back everything at the time we needed it. And God was imparting new things that he had been saving for that time. New revelations of his spirit. New understandings of who he was. New and beautiful things about the character of God and his love for the lost. From living in one room for six months, I was moved to a prison on February 3rd. 2015, a prison of 900 people. And I had prayed desperately, very, very desperately, Lord, not this, not that. But that was part of God's plan. It really was. I couldn't take much with me to the prison. I didn't have much to take. I took a set of clothes. I took my Bible that I had to, we had from the beginning, and I took a few photos. And I went into that prison. Horrible, horrible place. But as Philippians 2.16 says, I held fast to the word of life. 
Even when everything around you is terrible, horrible, painful, we hold fast to the word of life because it does give us life. They took everything from us when they first uh, really abducted us on August 4th. On day 774, they took me out of my cell and they made me sign papers to you know, pay a fine and all sorts of things, a huge amount of money. When I went back to my cell, my Bible was gone. The hundreds of pages of notes that I had were gone. I just thought, Lord, I don't want to lose my Bible now. 2 Corinthians 1.9 again says, But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's what God wants. wants. We cannot, you cannot live life on your own. Impossible. We think we can. Many people think they can and try to. But God says, no, you've got to rely on me. I know your tomorrow. I know your today. We have to rely on the, the creator of heaven on earth. Because he is. We have to rely on the Alpha and Omega because he is. He is life. We're going to come back tomorrow and share. But I want you to think about that question. How much do you really rely upon God? Truly, think about that. Think about those people in prison as you pray tomorrow. What do they need? Maybe it's just sleep. Maybe it's just some food. It's not always to get out. You know, I prayed that desperately many times. But we'll share more about that tomorrow. God's next 19 months. And just an incredible thing we'll share tomorrow that just happened Friday.